When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 345, and today we are talking about books being released on January 18th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello! Hello, Liberty! So I just want to say right up front that don't adjust your, I guess, I was going to say radios, but that doesn't really work anymore. (laughs) Don't adjust your sets. Um, Yes, my voice sounds weird. I did lose my voice, but I promise it's nothing bad and it's coming back. And weirdly, I feel extremely talky today. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I feel very wordy, which is probably bad because I've lost my voice, but I have lots to say. So I'm excited. A couple of these books I've been waiting to talk about for like a year. So I cannot wait to get to those. And I'm excited about some of yours. Yeah. And I mean, already excited about some of yours. By the end of the show, I'll be excited about all of them. <laughs> and what else? What else is going on in the world? Um, we've had some nice emails from listeners. Yes. I feel like we should come up with a collective noun for all the books listeners. But I don't I don't have one yet, you know. Yeah, something very like insidery, like how Veronica yeah, like, Mars watchers are marshmallows. We need something yeah. like that. Like ATBBs. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I love it. Something cute. I don't know. Maybe that uh, works. I love hearing from listeners either like they tag me or find me on social media or, you know, email us. It's always very, very fun. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, books are my favorite thing. And they've always been my favorite thing in like helping other people to find books that they love. It's like, I feel like it's my calling. It makes me happy. Yay. And I get to read, you know, all the books I want in, you know, besides that. So bonus, that helps. Definitely perks. I feel I feel kind of silly. I'm like, you're talking about books at the beginning of your show about <laughs> books. But I mean, like, what else am I going to talk about, right? Um, the cats are bad. We all know that. <laughs> it's so freaking cold here right now. It's supposed to be like five degrees tomorrow. And I'm Oof. going to visit my father-in-law in the White Mountains uh, in the middle of the day to bring him lunch. And it's like... Supposed to be like negative forty with the wind chill there. Oh, Godspeed! Like, what does one even do? <laughs> you know? Yeah, we have so in Iowa we're under a severe winter storm warning, which has yet to really pan out. Like we've gotten a little bit of snow, but like not enough that I'm, you know, I like I'm from Michigan, so I'm kind of like, oh, this is cute. But apparently, we're supposed to be getting more and. I'm ready to just like hunker down for the weekend with my books. And one thing that apparently I've learned about living in Iowa is people are obsessed when it's winter with making chili and cinnamon rolls. And they like eat them like not like chili on their cinnamon rolls, but like they eat them (laughs) together. And so like everywhere I've gone this week, people have been like winter storm coming you got your chili and your cinnamon rolls and i'm like what what is with the chili and the cinnamon rolls so but yes i do have ingredients for chili and cinnamon rolls maybe i'll even give it a shot 
Oh, and all the people around me buy like water and bread. Like how ridiculous of them when they can be having chili and cinnamon <laughs> Right? <laughs> Get like Iowa. <laughs> Jeez, I've not heard that. That's cool. Yeah. It, That's pretty funny. Some sort of regional thing mm. that I'm just now learning about, but it's very delightful. Now I want a cinnamon roll. <laughs> right? Mm. Yes. So good. So, all right. What time is it? I don't even know what time it is. All right. Yeah, we're coming up on a good time to stop for a quick ad break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So now we are going to move on to these awesome books that we have for you today. My first one is Yinka, Where is Your Husband? Husband with a Z by Lizzie Damilola Blackburn. This is very Bridget Jonesy, I felt, and full of heart and humor. It's about a young woman named Yinka. She's an Oxford-educated British-Nigerian woman, and she's just gotten out of a long-term relationship, and she believes in true love. She believes in true love, and she also believes in waiting until marriage before she sleeps with someone. And she's very happy in her life. She has a job that she likes pretty much. But she ha- also has a meddling mother and aunties who are like, oh, my goodness, your whole personality must be wrapped up in a man. They're just like constantly like, when are you going to get a husband? When are you going to get a man? Her sister is about to have a baby. Her cousin just got engaged. Like her aunts and mother are obsessed with finding her husband so much so that at her sister's baby shower, they literally pray for her to find a man. I mean, and and it makes her feel bad because she's like, I'm happy with myself. And she even kind of brags a bit about her job to to try and make them feel like, you know, her life is really great. And that kind of blows up in her face later. But, you know, they make her feel bad about herself. And it's very frustrating for her because she's happy how she is. But she did find out that her ex, her recent ex, is dating someone new and is bringing her to her cousin's upcoming wedding. And she suddenly feels like she really needs to bring a guy to this wedding. She needs a date for this wedding to be like, yes, look, I'm totally fine. And, you know, our breakup didn't bother me and it's it's all great. But, like, who is she going to go out with? She decides to go about finding a date or a potential boyfriend, you know, the smartest way that she knows how, using a spreadsheet. <laughs> but, you know... Even when you think you have things all planned out, life has a way of surprising you. This is just, it's so utterly charming and fun. And there are some like Bridget Jones-ish type mishaps, um, you know, some slapsticky kind of stuff. But there's also like some important, you know, messages about societal and cultural pressures and, and expectations and independence. And it has actual spreadsheets and text messages within the text like within the body of the novel, which is really fun. And I just adored it to pieces. I would like to read another book with Yinka. I loved it. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of infidelity, racism, death of a family member, body shaming, and disordered eating. This is the delightful Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? by Lizzie Demilola Blackburn. That one looks really fun, and I picked it as my book of the month um, because I have a book of the month subscription, and I'm really excited to read it. Yay! Yay! 
So my first pick is Coming Back by Jesse Sabarsky, and this is a graphic novel. Um, it's technically a YA graphic novel, but I'll be real with you. I was reading this and I was like, this is YA. This feels more like an adult graphic novel and not because like it's inappropriate for teens, but just like, I don't know, the story and the content definitely felt more like suited for an adult audience than a teen audience, but I think teens can still enjoy it. So that is my my little thoughts on content. But it is this fantasy graphic novel that's set in a world where the society has these traditions and these beliefs regarding like life and birth and death. And in this society, the way people like, I guess, give birth, but people don't give birth in the society. So what happens is when it's time for a new child to be born, um, a couple receives a seed and they plant the seed and the seed sprouts a baby. And like, that is how you have children in this world, which is an interesting concept. And I thought it was really fascinating, particularly because the story is about a queer couple, two women who are together. They're, um, one is called Preet and one is called Valisa. And they are um, very happy together. Preet has magic and she's able to shape and shift. Valisa does not have magic and she works at the local library while Preet goes about the island that they would live on. And she, um, you know, uses her magic just to basically make people's lives better. And it's a very happy society and things seem to be good until um, something very weird happens at the library. And basically it becomes um, dangerous for people to go in there and something has gone wrong with like the magic system and how the, the society functions and somebody has to like venture into the library and go down into the cellar into like the very heart of this land and figure out like what has happened. And, you know, Pre is kind of like, well, you know, I have this very powerful magic, like I should be the one to go. But Valisa's like, no, I should be the one to go because I'm the librarian. And so the night before Valisa decides to go down and try to figure out what's going on at the library, they receive a seed, which is something that they definitely want, like they want to have a child together. But it's not a good time because Valisa is about to like, go and you know, she might not come back, they don't know what they're going to find at the heart of the library. So they, you know, give the seed away and Valisa leaves and she goes down to the library and Preet is left alone and she's really sad and the seed comes back to her. But rather than wait for Valisa to come back, she plants the seed and has a child. And this is like a really, really big sort of transgression in their society and it forces Preet um, and her child to be banished. And so this whole story is about, you know, their two separate journeys and whether or not they're going to be able to find a way back to each other, but also back to their home. And it's just really beautiful, unusual story. I liked the magic system. I liked the world. The art is gorgeous. I really like the themes that this book had about, you know, there are certain ways of doing things and there are wonderful traditions that you can honor. But like when those traditions hurt rather than help people, like it's essential that we as like human beings figure out ways to 
um, help people and like take people where they're at rather than, you know, have them adhere to traditions that aren't useful or helpful to them. So it's just a gorgeous graphic novel. Um, it is Coming Back by Jesse Zabarski. All right. When I was a little kid, my mom was a librarian and the building that the library was in used to be a parsonage. It was this old building with like this dark stone basement where they eventually put lots of shelves because they were running out of space. But like there was also a storage room, but it had like these plastic flaps on the door like you see behind the the meat counter at the grocery store. And I was always like so afraid to go past those flaps (laughs) even though like how scary is it that you can actually see right through them into the room i don't know when you're a child i guess very scary (laughs) i was like looking through them and like here are lots more books but i would not go through those so when you were like you know go down into the basement of the library i was like oh no yeah it's definitely creepy not the meat (laughs) section Uh. oh so all right so just just get ready is all i can say about my next pick It is How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. So heads up, this book will destroy you. And it might even destroy you just hearing me talk about it. So tread lightly because there are some very serious, upsetting subject matters in this book. It is a gorgeous, compassionate, heartbreaking novel about a plague from the Ice Age that is reactivated and decimates the planet. And it's told in several interconnected stories. It starts with the unearthing of a 30,000-year-old young girl. She's like seven or eight. This expedition in Siberia finds her. And she has all these things that, like, they, they don't understand why she's there. Like, they don't know how these people got to this place where they found her. It doesn't make any sense. They didn't know people were this far along. And unfortunately, while unearthing her, they unearth this virus. And they're in quarantine. But, you know, in the next story, you know, the next chapter of this the virus has gotten out. And unfortunately, the first wave of this is referred to as the kindergarten virus because it only affects small children. So like I said, you know, if you have kids, this might be really hard for you to read. It's very hard to read as someone who doesn't have kids, but you know, there's just nothing to be done for these children. And so there's like whole sections are just about the loss of these children. And one of them takes place at an amusement park for dying children. Um, the virus goes on to infect the adults in a new wave. And there's just these several different stories about the world as it goes on as this this plague has been released. There's a chapter told by the dying. There's a young man who, who works at the amusement park who becomes close with a mother and one of the sick children. There's a chapter with a young man working at a death hostel. There's a chapter with a scientist and a talking pig. Yes, you heard that right, a talking pig. Uh, there's a chapter about a scientist who used to solve crimes. They had a body farm, and now they use their resources to try and find a way to cure the virus. Uh, there's a man who fixes robot dogs, like virtual pets that hold on to people's memories uh, after they're gone. Uh, and it goes on to far in the future. So, yes, sounds really sad, right? It is. It is very sad. It's devastating. And the last sentence will ruin your life. There will be crying, like no getting around it. But it's also about art and beauty and ingenuity and how amazing humans are. It it was really cathartic to read it. You know, I cried a lot, but I was like, life is beautiful and hope is necessary, you know, and appreciate what you have now. You know, it kind of falls in with my whole like thing about 2022, my new 
motto, which is enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. It's just an incredible read. And like I said, might not be the book for you now, but I loved it. And it, it's part of like this recent wave of what I call future beautiful calamity fiction. I, I kind of want to refer to it as Mandelian fiction now because a lot of it reminds me of Emily St. John Mandel and Station Eleven and her upcoming Sea of Tranquility. There's another book coming called A House Between the Earth and Moon by Rebecca Sherm that I love to pieces, which kind of falls under this category too. Um, just this beautiful stuff, which is like so sad because the world is coming apart, but also just so, so beautiful. So of course, content warnings, you know, <laughs> like for mass illness and death, descriptive deaths of children and adults, animal experimentation and animal death, trauma, grief, loss of a loved one. But oh my goodness, I know it sounds hard, but it's such a good book. It's How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. That's also just a brilliant title. It's so yeah. memorable and it like it makes you sort of stop and think about it. Love it. It goes with something in the book. And when you get to it, you're like, oh, like, I, I wish someone would come up with a word for that when you find like the thing <laughs> in the book that goes with the title. And you're like, oh, it makes oh so much sense. Now. Yeah. Yeah. The moment of connection. Love it. Yep. All right. My next pick is Lawless Spaces by Corianne Haydu. This is a novel in verse. And I just want to give content warning um, for talk of sexual assault and harassment this is a book about a teenager named Mimi. She's 16 and she's kind of having a hard time. On the outside, it seems like she has this really charmed life. You know, she's very beautiful. She has a really popular Instagram presence. She's kind of like an influencer. She lives in New York City with her mom. Her mom is a former actor and is very gorgeous. But her mom has been acting very, very distant for, you know, a while now, a couple of years at least. And that's in part because um, her mom has this really terrible, emotionally abusive boyfriend that does, you know, Mimi does not like and he does not like her. And so her life is very much like walking on eggshells at home. And so she's just start turned 16 when her mom gives her this journal and says, you know, this is, you know, something that we do when we turn 16 is we get journals like the women in her family, and we keep them and now you're 16. So here's your journal and Mimi kind of like shrugs it off at first, like, you know, a journal's not going to solve her problems. But then not long after this, her mom decides to go on a vacation with her boyfriend. And like right after she leaves, Mimi sees on the news that her mom has come forward to publicly accuse a famous man of sexual assault. And Mimi is completely blindsided because she did not know this about her mom. She's very upset that her mom didn't you know, give her a heads up because she's not like famous, but she is pretty well known among the influencer circles. And so people are finding her like connecting the dots and people are asking her questions. And her mom is just like off on vacation. 
very unreachable, not really willing to talk about this. And so Mimi is obviously feeling abandoned and hurt. And she attempts to sort of stand up for her mom, but her attempt to do so just makes things so much worse. And it's like in this moment of loneliness and hurt that she turns to the journals of her mom and her grandmother and her great grandmother. And so she's able to kind of, you know, get to know these women at age 16 by the journals that they wrote. And at first it's too painful for her to look at her mom's journal. So she starts with her grandmother and her great grandmother. And the more she reads, the more she starts to understand her family and understand like this painful legacy that the women in her family have been passing down to one another. And it starts to give her like the courage and the confidence to maybe confront her relationship with her mom and try to understand like what happened to her mom and where her mom is coming from, but also like where she wants to be going after this and how she wants to move forward with her own life. So it's very beautiful. Like, like I said, it's written in verse. So it's a quick read. But it is, you know, kind of like a gut punch because there's, you know, a lot about women and all the ways that they have been taken advantage of throughout the years and all of the ways that society has, you know, kind of forced women to to really just kind of accept it and the price of speaking up and saying like, no, I'm not going to accept it anymore. That said, it's just Absolutely wonderful. Highly recommend it. Um, that is Lawless Spaces by Corianne Haydu. All right. So my next pick is another dark book, but in a different kind of way. It is for morbid monkeys like me. I love this book. It is called Anatomy, a Love Story by Dana Schwartz. It is a gothic mystery romance set in Scotland involving... A young woman who wants to be a surgeon and grave robbers. Hazel Sinet is this young woman that I spoke of. She wants to be a surgeon. However, women are not allowed to be doctors. It is 1817. They're not even really supposed to get an education at this point. Uh, so she's expected to stay home and to marry. She is engaged to her cousin, who she does not like. He is a viscount. I've always really wanted to do something where, like, maybe name a romance novel where you're like, you're now down with a Viscount, like the OPP <laughs> song. Anyway, I've been sitting on that forever. Anyway, so she's miserable. And she actually even tries dressing up in her brother's clothes to sneak into a lecture to learn about anatomy and the human body. And the local surgeon giving the lecture, Dr. Beecham, he catches her and he bars her from his lectures. But he does tell her that if she can pass the entrance exam he will consider letting her and other women into his class. But, I mean, how fair is it to say that if she can't have any of the material to study, right? So, luckily, she meets Jack, a resurrection man. Resurrection man is a nice way of saying a corpse dealer. Um, if you know anything about science, medical history, you know that a long time ago, you know, you were not allowed to do autopsies. You were not allowed to do anything involving a body uh, and scientists used to pay resurrection men to steal corpses from the graveyard so that they could learn. And many people were sentenced to death for doing this. Um, and so Hazel meets Jack. And it's a good time to be a resurrection man because a plague has hit the city. Lots of plagues in my books today. Sorry. Um, so there is a lot to work with. And also a romance blooms in the graveyard. 
and they get hot and heavy among the headstones. It sounds very naughty and wrong when I say it like that, but (laughs) it's just so much fun. This is definitely like Hazel's story. Hazel is a badass, and I love her. The book is creepy and gory and funny and thrilling. I will say that it ends quite abruptly, and not everything is neatly explained, which leads me to believe that there's going to be more to this story. There's also less romance than I was expecting from a a book called A Love Story, Um, but it's more about, you know, the injustice and sexism of the time period and also Hazel being awesome. If you like Maureen Johnson, if you like Libba Bray, it also reminds me of one of my very favorite YA books and series, the Monstromologist series by Rick Yancey, which is like this incredible Dickensian, like young man in Victorian London with a a scientist teacher stealing bodies and fighting monsters and all this stuff, which is like a, a seriously underrated series, I think. It reminds me of that. It also has my favorite cover of the year. Like, I'm almost like 100% certain. I cannot believe how clever people are. The cover has a young woman kneeling on the floor in a red dress. And the red dress, the the skirt of the dress, is bunched around her in such a way that looking at her from up above, it looks like an actual heart. Not like a Valentine heart, but like an actual human heart, the way the dress is shaped. So clever. So clever. Like, that person deserves a super raise. I do want to give content warnings for sexism, illness and death of loved ones, body horror and gore, violence and murder. This is Anatomy, a Love Story by Dana Schwartz. Woo! (laughs) Very excited about that one. And now we're going to hear from another sponsor. All right, Tirza, what do you have for us? All right, my next pick was just one that I've been really looking forward to um, is Real Easy by Marie Rutkowski. Um, she is known for her YA fantasy. She wrote um, The Winner's Curse and all the sequels. And there's um, a spinoff series called The Midnight Lie, um, which, you know, honestly, I have not read. I have them all. People have been telling me how great they are. But this is her first adult novel. And Real Easy is set in 1999. And it is about this dancer named Samantha. By dancer, I mean, like, she works in a club where she dances naked for money. Um, and it is a job that she kind of just does because she's she's good at it. She can make really good money. She has always wanted to like have a family and be a mom. But Samantha is intersex and she you know, can't conceive um, children very easily. Um, So she has this boyfriend who has a daughter and the boyfriend's like not great, but she really loves his kid. And she kind of just feels like, you know, I've got almost everything I want out of life. Like this is probably the only way that I can be a mom. So she sticks with him. Um, Her maternal instincts also definitely come out in that There's a new girl at the club and she's kind of a mess. And Samantha kind of goes out of her way a couple of times to give her some tips on how to, you know, not just be a better dancer, but like make a little bit more money and also how to kind of keep herself safe while doing so. And this sort of comes back to bite her one night when this um, new girl 
is clearly under the influence of drugs, which is against the rules. It could get her fired. Um, then it's not very clear whether she took the drugs herself or somebody drugged her. But either way, she needs to go home early. And so Samantha offers to give her a ride, even though it's going to end up costing her a few hundred dollars and missing out on some money for the night. And so she gets her in the car. She starts driving her home. And as she's driving home, um, her driving this woman home, she realizes that they're being followed. And what ends up happening is somebody drives them off the road. She passes out. And that's kind of where they leave Samantha. And then the story shifts. And you start to see, like, the aftermath of this from a bunch of different characters' perspectives. Like, other dancers, the family members of these dancers, the police officers and detectives involved in the case. So, essentially, what happens is Samantha is missing. She's kidnapped. And we know that she's alive, but we don't know who has her or why or where she is. And the other girl, the new girl that was in the car, she ends up dead on the scene. And it's looking like murder. So it's a very top mystery because you're like, who, like, who is behind this? It's obviously somebody that Samantha knows because of the evidence that's laid out but the reader doesn't know a lot of the other people don't know and you know you're just you're wondering like just as much like who is this but like why what is the whole reason behind this it's a very very weird case and it's made I think even more engaging by the fact that like you have so many different people and their different perspectives and they all offer like a little, little sliver, a little hint as to like what is really going on. And your job as the reader is just to kind of take this all in and try to build this puzzle and try to understand what's going on. I also really like like mystery and crime books that um, kind of dig into the personal lives of the people who are involved because I think that, um, you know, whether you have like a an amateur sleuth or a private investigator or like an actual you know detective or police officer um how they interpret a mystery how they go about solving it is usually kind of told through like the filter of their own personal experiences and what they're going through and like what's going on in their lives and you definitely get that in real easy because everybody has something going on they all have got baggage and it just was really fascinating book all the content warnings however for you know there's content warnings for sex work for violence for partner abuse child neglect kidnapping it's not an easy book to read despite the title but it was really engaging so that is real easy by marie rikoski all right maybe i'll read that this weekend it's good yeah i'm looking forward to it uh, so my last pick, gather around my little ATBs, <laughs> BBs, is that what I decided on? Yeah. Because it's time for uh, Liberty's Wheelhouse. Uh, my last pick today is Blood in the Garden, The Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks by Chris Herring. Now, before I talk about the book, I just want to point out, we don't talk about a lot of sports books on the show and there have to be lots of people who enjoy sports because sports are very popular. And, like, basketball is my thing this year. Like, you've heard me talk about Larry Bird and how I love Larry Bird and I used to watch him when I was little. But this season, I've done a real deep dive into the NBA. I've watched all of the Celtics games and some of the other games. And 
I find it to be so interesting. A little alarming, like, because, you know, it's been like 20 years since I've been watching these games. And now I'm old enough to be the mother of most of these players, which is just amazing to me, you know, sitting there in my Stormtrooper jammies watching this. (laughs) But it's so interesting. You know, a lot of the commentators for basketball games are former pro ball players, both men and women. And they talk about, you know, how the game has changed since when they played, whether it was like 10 years ago or 50 years ago, you know, and they talk about the differences in techniques and calls and like what you can get away with that you couldn't get away with before and vice versa. And also this, we are in the second unprecedented season for the NBA. And in the last few months, the teams have been decimated, decimated by COVID so that they hire all these players like on 10 day contracts. Like the Celtics hired a guy that used to play for them who hasn't played professional basketball for 19 years, like on a 10 day contract. And he got a basket. He got two points and everybody lost their minds because here's this guy. He's 40 something years old. And, you know, and, and they just like every team is like this. So it's amazing. You never know who, which of your player, your favorite players are going to be in the game every time you watch, you know, and also. It amazes me that this is the 75th year of the NBA. It's their 75th anniversary of the NBA. And we are seeing all kinds of history-making benchmarks. Like Steph Curry, for instance, just got like the most three-point shots, right? Of anybody in history in the NBA. And it's wild. And also, I'm so down with the drama you know, like there's, it seems like there's a lot less fighting between players. Like I really enjoy like how they don't seem to like really hate each other or like, like be mean to each other. They all seem to like really get along, even if there's like a little, you know, squabbling on the court and stuff. But there's also like the drama, like you're watching and it just takes one second for this to be like the end of someone's career. For instance, like Ricky Rubio on the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of weeks ago landed wrong and ripped his ACL, which is could be like a career ending injury. And it's, I'm like, <gasps> you know, like, I'm so involved in this, you know, my boy Rob Williams, he banged heads the other day and had to get stitches and came back out on the court like a quarter later, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's so tough and amazing. It's like a soap opera with lots of jumping and running, basically is what this is. I love watching the NBA. And this book is fun. You don't have to be a Knicks fan to enjoy it because it's just really interesting if you like sports or if you know somebody who enjoys reading about sports. You know, like my Celtics, the New York Knicks are one of the original NBA teams that started uh, 75 years ago. My father-in-law is 83 years old, and I was talking to him the other day because I could not conceive of a time like he was alive at a time before the NBA actually existed, which is just wild to me. But, you know, in the 1990s, the New York Knicks, Pat Riley was the coach. He came from the, the Lakers. You know, you had Patrick Ewing, you had John Starks, you had Charles Oakley, you had Anthony Mason. And they hadn't won a championship since 1973, but they had a rabid fan base. You know, they were playing in Madison Square Garden. That's where, like, the biggest shows happen, and that's just, like, their home court, you know. And this is, you know, they kind of turned into, like, the brawlers of the NBA because they didn't have the points to to make the playoffs, and so they kind of gained fame other ways. Which also reminds me, if you like sports teams that fight, you should look up the Broad Street Bullies, the documentary about the Philadelphia Flyers, which is a hockey team uh, in the 1970s. It's excellent. But getting back to the to the Knicks, Herring interviewed over 200 people for this book. And it's about how the team sort of went from being one of the most beloved teams in the 90s, you know, despite their record, to now being one of the teams that no one really expects a lot from anymore. They're turning into like the Chicago Cubs. And someday they will have their day again, I'm sure. But I just found it really, really interesting. I find 
you know, sports really interesting. I, I don't know why all of a sudden this is like so interesting to me, but um, I also just want to put it out there. This is going to sound really weird, but if anybody out there watches every Celtics game and is looking for like a, a buddy to like text about or something, hit me up because I want to talk about the Celtics when I'm watching the games, but I look at the Celtics websites and the people that comment on there and I'm like, I am not wading into that. Like, <laughs> I do not need that toxicity sticking to me. Um, but I desperately want to be like, whoa, did you see that with like somebody else uh, like in real time and, and no one else I know is watching them. So anyway, I know that sounds weird, but okay. Enough about basketball, enough about the book. It is Blood in the Garden, The Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks by Chris Herring. Okay, but I'm going to ask you one question. Have you seen the Netflix documentary Malice at the Palace? No. Okay, so this is, I just bring it up because we're talking about basketball. And I'm not like a huge NBA fan. Like I like watching basketball, but I don't really like follow it. However, this documentary was about the Pacers and the Pistons brawl that happened in um, the early 2000s in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it's a really interesting documentary because they interview a lot of the players and they kind of like get into like where their headspace was at the time and like what like actually caused this like giant brawl that like ended the game and like people went to jail like it was a huge thing but it's a really interesting documentary and it's on netflix and it was really good oh i'm gonna have to like write that down right now yes it's really fun what i like like what i really liked about that broad street um bruisers is that what it was broad street bullies i can't even remember what it's called now the hockey documentary that i watched is that they talk to these guys now that are like in suits who look like they sell insurance or like cars and they're like, yeah, you know, I punched them in the face. And then they smile right. and, like they're missing some of their teeth. And you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. Um, just just amazing. Like, I just love learning about all kinds of things, you know. And, and I think, like, sports are really just what has stuck to my ribcage right now. But it's really fun. Also, I just realized now it's a really good segue for your book. Yes. So we're going to keep talking about sports and games and whatnot, because my next pick is Game On, 15 Stories of Wins, Losses, and Everything in Between, edited by Laura Silverman. And this is a fun anthology that is basically about games. And what I like about this anthology is that that is interpreted very widely. Um, So yeah, you have like your traditional like sports competitions, Um, But you also have, like, board games. In one of the stories, like, the game is, like, a game of spin the bottle and how it, like, basically, you know, ruins a friendship. And they're all really, really interesting. And they kind of are, like, genre-defying in a way because, you know, they just – they include a lot of different elements. Um, You have everything from, like – this really earnest friendship story where you're like, how does game on factor into this? And then you like see it and you're like, Oh, and then you have like the more traditional, like we're at cheer camp or we're, you know, going to go play an actual sport. And it was just kind of an interesting way to um, think about, you know, the concept of games and competitions and like our preoccupation with, competitions where you know somebody wins or loses and as the subtitle says everything in between so we've got some great authors in this anthology uh laura silverman is the editor um she also contributes a story but 
We also have Kathleen Glasgow, Shamile Sayed Mendez. We have Francesca Zappia, um, Nina Moreno, Kayla Whaley, Sean David Hutchinson, just a ton of really awesome writers. So I have to admit, I did not finish all of the short stories in this anthology before we um, sat down to record, but I have read a bit of them. Um, I think my favorite story so far is Katie Katugno's because it kind of has like these speculative elements to it. And it has like this game that, um, you know, it's just not what you expect. So Game On, 15 Stories of Wins, Losses, and Everything in Between, edited by Laura Silverman. Highly recommend it. I also think that like it's a really great sort of addition to like this micro trend I'm seeing of more girls in competitive sports. And even though this anthology is not, you know, specifically for about girls or, you know, people who identify as female, um, because we have stories that some men have written and, you know, male characters in this anthology, it's mostly female. And that's just really cool. I mean, there's just been a lot of really great, fantastic, strong girls in sports fiction lately. So add this to the list if that is something that you like. Well, all right. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Oh, so I'm like totally torn because just earlier today before we started recording, I got three books that I absolutely have been dying to read. So I'm going to try to see how many of them I can read this weekend. But My Fine Fellow um, by Jenica Cohen and The Serpent's Wake by Rachel Hartman, which is the sequel to Tess of the Road, which is one of my favorite fantasy books of 2018. And then June Hare's new book, The Red Palace. Those all like hit my mailbox. And now I'm like, must read all of them. I'm not sure which one I'm going to start with first. That sounds like a really great weekend. Yes. And I'm going to be snowed in, so it's going to be great. <laughs> I am going to pick up The Honeys by Ryan LaSala, which is a YA horror novel. I enjoyed Bedazzled by Ryan LaSala, which came out two years ago, I think. And I'm also going to read a mystery called Under Lock and Skeleton Key, a secret staircase mystery by Gigi Pandian. And I'm excited about that one because Secret Staircase. It has something to do with architecture. Ooh. And like a secret staircase. Because when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a detective, but like I specifically wanted to be the kind of detective that could look at a building or like be inside a building and think this building is smaller on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> there must be a secret room. Like I loved it when detectives did that, and that has never worked for me, not once. So I can barely tell you like how big my house is and I, I've been in every room. That was like a thing that I really wanted to do when I was a kid. I love like that. that. That smart detective. Be like, ha, this room is is smaller. There must be, you know, a secret library. <laughs> that's what I that's what I would have in my house. Yes. So, that is it for us today. We were all over the place. It was awesome. All was kinds great. of stuff. All books all over the place. It was great. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can let me know if you love to watch the Celtics and you want to chat about them. Uh, you can find us online, Tirza Hangs Out, on Twitter and Instagram at Tirza Price. 
I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can leave a rating or review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Spotify now. Uh, you can leave a rating or review to help other book lovers find us. It's, it's really beneficial for us, and we appreciate it more than we can say. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.